Oh my god, I picked a I picked a movie that didn't have a cool song in it. You did. Um, oh my god, I'm failing. Well, we can make one up. No. Debbie no, in the no. attic. Who is <laughs> no. there? Listen to the French guy on the thing called switch switchboard. <laughs> on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that one got away from you. Why a bit. is she naked? Oh. No one knows. They keep calling the guy Dehardeen. Yeah. yeah. I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but in French, wouldn't they pronounce the J? Yeah, it should be Desjardins. Yeah. Oh, they're doing like a Spanish pronunciation. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm. I'm at the point where I've seen this so many times that I was like, Loki picking it apart. I was like, the fucking end of this movie makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> It, the it's end. Not. Thank the whole, you, because the I whole thing. I was like, this makes no sense. Okay, we'll it's obviously get there, but I was like, what? Is, am I missing something? Because nope. what the fuck does this they, mean? They just start. They just start throwing shit at the fan, and I, <laughs> I honestly, I respect the hell out of that. Like they really <laughs> just kind of go for it. It made oh. for a fun time for sure. Definitely. and ghouls welcome to slashers prefer blondes the podcast where three brunettes talk the kinds of movies that bite scream and slash i'm natalie i'm heidi and i'm laura and today we're brushing up on our french and keeping our spades close at hand as we unravel the mystery behind adam robitel's 2014 film the taking of deborah logan (laughs) or queen debbie as we may refer to queen debbie yeah (laughs) This was Heidi's pick. We're doing another possession movie. This is what, like the second or third one we've done this at this point? I would say second. I think the medium was the only one. If you count the innocence, it's the third. Yeah, I, I, the innocence, I, none of the ones that we've covered so far have been like a straightforward possession flick either. Yeah. And, and they've all been chosen by Heidi. So I think that's also really interesting. Well, remember when we launched this and and we were like, what's your comfort horror? And I was like, I like possession films. <laughs> yeah. I'm living up to that promise. <laughs> I think you gotta. We each bring our own spice to this podcast. We could be the Powerpuff Girls. I think it's <gasps> easy to talk about possession films in the context of our podcast as well, because we really like to look at things from a more feminist angle. And I think that the possession genre is really rife with a lot of gender issues gender stereotypes gender tropes Mm -hmm. that are really interesting i think that this movie is interesting as well because it does take some steps to break a lot of those stereotypes of what we think about when we think about a typical possession film which i think is really fun Mm -hmm. okay i i have to ask this even if we end up cutting it out because i'm curious now if we were the powerpuff girls who would be who (laughs) because it is a perfect three three matchup i'm bubbles that would definitely make me blossom then. Yeah. Because I feel like Natalie is for sure buttercup. I really appreciate you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious. 
really appreciate you saying that. Anyway. Okay. Now that we got that over with. I was going to say, do you, Heidi, want to explain why you chose this movie? What's your relationship to this movie? Sure. This was not my original idea for this episode. But the one that I originally wanted to pick kind of let me down. So this is a solid runner up. I knew that I wanted to do a possession film this time around. So Taking of Deborah Logan is a different kind of possession film from like what my usual favorites are. And I thought it that it would be fun. That's all. I, as I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, am not uh, a huge fan of possession films and my my repertoire is is scarce. But I had, I, I think that Heidi's kind of like, not that I was against possession films, but it just wasn't something that I'd go to to watch in general. But yeah, I'm yeah. kind of like starting to warm up to them a little bit. And I liked this one in particular because it was a lot of fun. And it was a different, like you said, a different type of possession. Like I, I liked how it played out. It wasn't just like, oh, this evil random demon is possessing this woman's body, yeah. which yeah. I, I feel is what we get a lot of. But this, yeah, it definitely had more of a story behind it. And I appreciated that, how it worked the possession into this kind of broader narrative that, like yeah. I said, a mystery that they have to unravel. I love a mystery with my possession films. I think that's one of the reasons that I really like the second Conjuring film is because there's that kind of like mystery going uh-huh. on. Yeah. But I was recommended this movie by Natalie, actually. <gasps> you were the first person that put it on my radar Snaps and I think we Natalie. watched it together. I do think that this this is my second found footage possession film and I realized as I was like preparing for the podcast that that might be my particular niche Found I could dig it. I could dig it because I was gonna say it puts you in the action. Like, yeah, but it's like a documentary too. Like, yes, within the subset of found footage possession films, there is documentary style possession, and I'm like that one. And when you're thinking about found footage, one of the things I liked about this, well, at first I was kind of thrown off because it does move kind of fast. Like, I don't know when I for <laughs> yeah. for a found footage film. And a possession film. I'm used to it kind of being a slow burn at the start. Mm-hmm. And then shit starts to go on. And then mm-hmm. this is a little bit like it doesn't jump right into it. But as far as like establishing yeah. the backgrounds of the characters and mm-hmm. setting up the story, it does move kind of fast. So I was like trying to keep up at first. Mm-hmm. But I actually like that it wasn't, you know, I thought of like paranormal activity. Well, it's not. It's kind of a possession film. But, you know, it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's like you're trudging through most of it, just looking for things to appear on the screen. Yeah. And this is like, we're not going to tease you. We're just going to like cut to it and actually show you, you know, what you're yeah. here to see. So I appreciated that, even though it kind of threw me off at first. One of the things that I appreciate about what this film does in particular is that it does not dive in head first and is like spooky paranormal possession things. It's like, <laughs> hey, you know what's actually really terrifying? Losing God. your mind fucking alzheimer's and being old so i do think that comparing this movie to paranormal activity is interesting and like a a good thing to do because i do think they function really differently so paranormal activity is definitely more rooted in drilling up suspense so they Mm -hmm. want you to be waiting for something to happen and i think those movies for the most part are pretty a couple of them are pretty effective um (laughs) (laughs) but 
what this movie does that I think is so fun is that instead of instead of like making you really really seek out the scary shit they dump so much of it on you (laughs) so quickly that it does kind of benefit from repeat viewings because the more you watch Mm -hmm. it the more you notice shit that you haven't seen previously yeah because they like watching this movie as somebody who has seen it multiple times like they foreshadow the fuck out of the ending and Mm. like you don't notice that when you're first watching because just a bunch of weird shit's happening and all of this weird shit though is foreshadowing the end of the film like yeah it's crazy and by the time we get to the end of the movie, so much weird batshit stuff has happened that you're not really paying attention to how much little, how little sense the ending really makes. <laughs> because <laughs> you're just like, oh, wait, no, this is kind of like what happened earlier. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And it and it works in the film's flavor, favor. Like, I think it keeps you on your toes. There's always something to look out for. And I think that what also really sets this movie apart from something like Paranormal Activity is the performances so i think that yeah Mm -hmm. we have a really really solid lead performance in jill larson as deborah that does not get talked about nearly enough when we're talking about movies like this because i don't think it's a stretch to say that possession movies are really grueling shoots for the possessed characters like yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) It takes a lot out of you. You have to go to these like really extreme places. And she does it so well and so effectively that it it, it it just kind of seamlessly pulls everything together. And I think a way that we don't always see in paranormal activity movies because those possession stories are so like one note. Yeah. Yeah. It's also because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think paranormal activity was one of the first kind of big found footage films that kind of spawned all of these different yeah. ones, different people who wanted to put their spin on the found footage subgenre. So yeah, it makes sense that it's going to be different and, and that they're going to have to take it to another level and do something different to differentiate, <laughs> different to differentiate itself from its predecessors. So I appreciated that it just didn't try to do the same thing. For, no, for mm-hmm. sure. Like a lot of other, interesting like docu-style found footage movies were coming out at the time paranormal activity was also mm-hmm. anyway like you have well of course blair witch was probably the one that yeah blair witch was in 99 right it. yeah yeah i mean you have like lake mungo in 2008 which is another kind of like indie docu horror found oh, we watched movie. that one it was all right that was really big for the time. I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I personally don't think that it aged super well, but I know it's a really, it has a really big cult following. Norway the Curse came out in 2005, according That's to the quick research that I just did. That one's really good and it, it's mm. very similar in concept, not really in execution. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so like these kinds of movies were already existing like a decade before this movie was made, yeah. but none of them have really found the same sort of like mainstream success that paranormal activity mm-hmm. had. Right. And that was a lot because of the hype surrounding it. I remember the kind of campaign where you'd go online mm-hmm. to try to bring it to your theater. And so everybody got super hyped up about it and they had the trailers showing people's reactions to the film. So mm-hmm. it was like that kind of, I don't know if you'd call it extra cinematic, like outside this outside the theater hype mm-hmm. that created a lot of interest in it in general. Yeah, and I mean, these were also paranormal activity movies were dropping once every Halloween, the way you like, like saw was. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it it just became very oversaturated really quickly. 
this movie had a pretty small budget. According to IMDb, there's an estimated budget of 1.5 million and it made, I think like $407,000 at the box office, um, Mm -hmm. which is not a big pull. (laughs) No, it, premiered to pretty decent reviews it currently holds a 91 percent on rotten tomatoes with only 11 uh reviews cited on there on imdb it has like a 6.1 out of 10 and on letterbox it has a 3.1 which is like a 6.2 if you put it on a 10 scale so i would say that audiences definitely came to this one late Mm -hmm. but it is pretty well received in the horror community like you know six out of ten is solid and i would consider this to be a solid a solid film (laughs) yeah i would too what what did people not like i think that a lot there is a bloody disgusting article that a bloody disgusting review that is quoted on the wikipedia page i know me doing some intense research here um (laughs) uh that says it was a derivative of other things that were happening at the time like nothing it's not bringing anything new to the table (laughs) derivative If you think about it, 2014, you're seeing a found footage possession film. Mm -hmm. That's not new. I personally think that it does bring some other stuff to the table. I think there's some interesting things going on here, but I could totally see somebody seeing this and being like, yeah, come on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess. Well, that's one of the reasons why I never was interested in it, because I I just figured it was another one of the, the ones that I had already... Mm-hmm. seen you know of the few that i've seen i just thought that's eh, another one of these yeah but you know now watching it in 2023 different story yeah definitely i think this is adam robitel's first feature film yeah this is his first film he goes on to do paranormal activity the ghost dimension which in case you were wondering is quite bad <laughs> <laughs> um, as well as insidious the last key he wrote the ghost oh. dimension he directed oh, the, last the last key, key. is um, and then he also directed both of the escape room movies which i think are actually pretty fun so hmm. i mm-hmm. would recommend watching the escape room movies I, they're not fantastic but they're fun to throw on i i cannot recommend paranormal activity the ghost dimension <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah he has a pretty it's it's hit or miss i think it sounds like mostly else. misses damn i think and that's okay i think the escape room movies are good and i think that deborah's good deborah's very good Mm -hmm. but overall i don't have a lot of production history on this movie i do think that we can probably go to the summary yeah hey let's dive in yeah let's dig in with our yeah dig there you go dig yeah There we go. I got it. That was good. Where's my spade? <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna kill poor Gavin. What am I... <laughs> I? She like singularly hated Gavin. She really did not like Gavin. <laughs> October 12th, 2013, PhD candidate Mia and her documentary team arrived to meet with Deborah Logan, a patient with Alzheimer's disease, and her daughter Sarah at her home in eczema Virginia to see if she might be a good fit for their film. They find Deborah with her neighbor Harris raking leaves and doing some yard work. Deborah goes to put the tools away and seeks reassurance that this film is not going to exploit her or make fun of her. And Mia lies that her grandfather had Alzheimer's as well 
to try to convince her to do the film. I think that the Mia lying thing is such a weird... I think it's so weird. Like, yeah, <laughs> it seems. Yeah, you think it's going to develop her character, but then Mia's character yeah. is, in general, very underdeveloped. Like, completely yeah. underdeveloped. And I'm like, what's the point of having her lie to this poor woman? Yeah. I, I also, um, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now. I think that the actress who plays Mia, Michelle Ang, Michelle Ang. No shade to her, but I do think that she is the worst actress in this movie. <laughs> so, okay. well, I think her character is the least well written. Maybe that's I, it. I think that that is also really fair. Um, I mm-hmm. think that she gets the she doesn't really get any of the fun lines, and I just I just feel like she sometimes she kind of takes me out of it a little bit. I think that the guys on the crew are funny, and they yeah. feel real. I just don't I just don't get that with her. The thing about Mia that kind of bothered me was she's supposed to be like you said, a PhD candidate. So, you know, I'm obviously not a PhD candidate, but I would imagine that if you were, you would be super into what you're studying, what you're trying to convey. Yeah. And like, I get none of, again, it's a, it's a weird situation, but like, even at the beginning, I get none of that enthusiasm from her. She seems kind of like, like she, it's just something she has to do. And the way she's treating yeah. these, these filmmakers who are working with her is very like, very like, I'm your boss. You do what I say. I'm going to pay you money to do this. I don't know. She pushes through, obviously, and she gets the mm-hmm. job done, but she seems very detached from the work in general and detached from Deborah. I don't. So maybe she's trying to be the documentarian, like kind of the silent observer in the background. I don't know, but I, I didn't get much from her. And I think mm-hmm. that's because of the way she was written. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that the film chooses, I think, rightfully to focus on Sarah and Deborah. And mm-hmm. like it should, but yeah. I do yeah. think that we get, I think we either get too much Mia or not enough Mia. And because mm-hmm. by the film's end, she is like very in the thick of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like she's yeah. number two, but it's kind of like, where did this come from? Like, yeah. I, I feel like we're missing a scene. You know what I mean? We only really see her talking to the dudes being like, Come yeah. on, I'll pay you extra. Like, we need to get this done. You're supposed to be editing. And I'm like, yeah. what what are you? <laughs> yeah, and she's like being this the skeptic throughout the entire movie and telling them that they're wrong for thinking something's going on. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay. I yeah, that Mia Mia's the part of this the character for the, in this film that really falls flat for me. Everybody else I like for the most yeah. part. But I was just like, I, the and then the lying. I'm like, why girl, why are you? Yeah. Why? why? Because, like, we know that, like, well, Deborah's about to try to change her mind. Do you think that Deborah, like, realized that she was lying? Hmm. I don't, I didn't get that vibe. I just took it as she was untrusting. She was unwilling to trust her from the get-go. Yeah, she, she, I mean, she says that she is a private person. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't want to be the, you know, kind of lab rat who is mocked for used or manipulated or i think she even says exploited in that way and like it is also like alzheimer's in and of itself is so scary and kind of like a humiliating disease in a lot of ways i think because like you know a person is losing their faculties and they're not aware of it so like they hear about things that they've done and it like becomes Mm -hmm. this whole thing and so i can pretty much assume that you know deborah is already like feeling very insecure Mm-hmm. And having these cameras coming in and be in her face obviously can't be easier either. But mm-hmm. we do get that background 
in this opening scene where we learn that like they're poor <laughs> and yeah yeah sarah really really wants to do the documentary because they're gonna help pay for medical bills they're gonna get grant yeah. money like and i don't think sarah doesn't seem like money hungry or anything she just seems no. like she is stressed out and needs yeah. the cash she just needs to take care of her mom and that's yeah and her mom doesn't want to and deborah doesn't want to give up the house and move to a, um, a long-term care facility yeah so that's it's what else do they do Mm -hmm. and i do like that these opening scenes you really get deborah seems very traditional like like older woman vibes yeah she seems like she seems nice for the most part but she also seems very put together Mm -hmm. and sarah seems very genuine right off the bat and i like that we get to see them in conflict immediately Mm -hmm. to see like how that conflict plays out now versus throughout other parts of the film Mm -hmm. because I think we don't really see Sarah this vulnerable again for the rest of the film because she physically can't be. Yeah, except for that, like, one scene where they're drinking and she's... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. hmm So I just wanted to, like, circle back to something that you said, Natalie, about Mia's character. Okay. Um, and her role as the, as the skeptic. And I think, like, maybe part of the reason that her character is not super well developed is because she is filling that like quote unquote like essential role of every possession film where you have one person mm-hmm. who just does not believe everything that's fair not that they can't do a better job with her but i don't know yeah no i i get you like that does the fact that she has to be like the the street man sort of mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. hinder her ability she's got to be the husband <laughs> yeah yeah Another thing that makes me weird about this opening scene in terms of how it sets up the documentary crew is that we get that live from Mia and then we get like this, the video of them filming Sarah and Deborah when they're Mm -hmm. inside the house. Yeah. And it just feels very gross and invasive. And I I understand that that's what they're there to do, but like it already feels like they're already in there. It feels exploitative, right? And yeah. like, I don't think that this carries through for the rest of the movie. Like, I genuinely no. don't. Which is why it's so confusing to me that we have it in the beginning. I was like, we don't need, we don't really need it. But I guess yeah. they just want to build up the fact that they need the money. Yeah. I don't know. My only, the only reason I could see for that scene would be how she's talking about. And I forget at what part of the movie she says this. But when she's like, basically the point of making this is both to see how the disease develops or progresses in mm-hmm. Deborah, but also to see what the impact is on her primary caretaker, Sarah. Yeah. So we get that after the house breakdown of what Alzheimer's does, like that little house animated section. So I could see that being a way to show like the, the conflict that is caused by this, this terrible, mm-hmm. you know, disease. That would be the only reason that I would see yeah. that. That makes sense. That, that That's a good thing to point out, but it is invasive. I mean, yes. Oh um, yeah. So yeah, also- it feels bad. This is supposed to be like a, um, not quite an audition. Like that's not the right word for it, but they're there to make sure that Deborah will be like a good fit for the mm-hmm. film. So the mm-hmm. fact that they're already like documenting this private conversation without necessarily permission, I think that's yeah. why it feels gross. Exactly though. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we kind of covered, like, a bunch of the next scenes. Just keep but, going. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just keep going, and you could just interrupt me. Uh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So Deborah does try to change her mind and Saren says that they need the money. Um, a week later, though, the crew arrives with the intent to stay in the house to document everything. During their proper tour of the home, the painting room where the boys will be staying and all of that, we see our first moment of Deborah's memory lapse when she can't remember that she's been to Germany before. That was sad. Mm-hmm. Though I will say that I did love this part of them showing around the house because I think it's so funny. Yeah. No intermingling here. No intermingling <laughs> here. And then also when um Sarah walks up to the guy when he's like looking yeah. around at the fucking mattress on the floor and he, she's like, say thank you to her. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that was one of the rules that she laid out. Like, yeah. say yeah. thank you. And there was something else. Be polite. Was, Please, part, yeah. thank you and smile. The part mm-hmm. where they're in the painting room and she's like, I used to know what this bird was. And then the guy's like, it looks like a blue-tilled finch. And then the then Deborah just goes, do you know birds? <laughs> I know. She's so like, like, okay. You, you know birds? Do you yeah. know birds? I was like, yeah. oh God, that's so funny. Yeah, it was an interesting scene definitely to set up the like the appearance that she likes to put on. And maybe that's mm-hmm. how her actual life is. But you can tell that she's trying to keep up the appearance mm-hmm. for the yeah. sake of, you know, feeling like herself, which again yeah. is tragic. But it also sets up a nice contrast to obviously what we see later on. Mm-hmm. The whole yeah. appearance, the facade kind of crumbling. And I also think that we do really see already like this early on in the movie the lengths that sarah is going to keep her mom comfortable and keep her mom happy Mm -hmm. like she she knows how to handle the crew to make sure that they'll be good for her like yeah she is very like attentive towards her mom already in these Mm -hmm. earlier scenes and we see that a little more as we go on too but you see it off the bat like they're obviously like even if they don't live with each other anymore they they still definitely seem close yeah 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 i also love the way how love the way they characterize sarah like at the very beginning Mm -hmm. because she's very differently dressed i mean she's from all the rest of the characters she's wearing like a plaid shirt and jeans it's like kind of plain compared to deborah's very like vibrant outfits and and her dresses and everything yeah and and deborah's telling her like oh you should put on a different shirt or you should wear a blouse i think that's later in the movie but yeah i don't own a blouse yeah, yeah exactly so you can you can immediately tell what kind of person uh like what kind of personality sarah has and i i like that because they characterized her without needing to spend too much time doing it so i as i wrote in my notes sarah is a big gay <laughs> like, exactly yes. yeah very much so and she even talks about how there's a little bit of stress i think she implies that she's in a relationship with someone yeah she has yeah. a girlfriend yeah. yeah and uh how it's put some strain on their relationship because she mm-hmm. told her that she would be moving in with her mom for just like a week or, or just helping out her mom months. for a couple weeks oh i thought she said weeks but but yeah just for a short period of time and then you know it's it's becoming more of a responsibility so yeah mm-hmm. i thought that was interesting too mm-hmm Mia explains that her thesis film will focus on the physiological toll the primary caregiver of the Alzheimer's patient undergoes. She dives into an explanation of the disease itself, that it kills neurons that handle logical thought, problem solving, causes hallucinations, and eventually erases the oldest memories before destroying the parts of the brain that regulate breathing and the heart. How did you guys feel about this? How did you guys feel about this? Like the the connection between like the way, physiological disease and the, possession? the way that they show it in the movie. How, how did you guys feel about that? <laughs> like I okay, I'll just I'll explain. I felt 
like uh, maybe it's because I've seen this movie so many times, but every single time they get to the part where she describes what Alzheimer's is, I can't tell if I'm supposed to think that this is them making fun of like student thesis films or not. Oh, I didn't take. Oh, I didn't at think all. that. I it just feels so. It feels like a kind of out of place and like it feels very amateur to me. And I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just the film not doing a good job of putting this part in. Yes, I think it's that. I think I, it's that I, okay. I took it as like, first of all, I thought it blew through the information. And for me, I, mm-hmm. I guess I'm, you know, me being interested in anatomy and physiology, I was like, wait, wait, slow down. Like, I know, I know the basics about Alzheimer's disease, but mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, you know, I want to, because I want to know what information they're giving so I can pair it with what's happening in the rest of the movie to see like the parallels, but they blew through it. And yeah. I think that was just them trying to establish like a knowledge base, a general knowledge base for people who don't know what, well, most people can recognize what Alzheimer's yeah. is, but don't yeah. know the specifics of it, like what's actually happening to the brain. Um, so I kind of took it as like just a little, what do you call it? Like an FYI, like some mm-hmm. type of yeah. information sheet for people who aren't familiar with the disease. Yeah, that's also the way that I interpreted it. But I didn't think it was well done because it just no. was like, here's it's a brain hard. dump. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm just like, why? Like, I get why it's there, but I'm also kind of like, why is this here? Like, yeah, I think it's, I think it is kind of like, in case you don't know yeah. what this mm-hmm. does, we're going to give you a quick rundown. Mm-hmm. But it does, it, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work very well. And it, it's also interesting because it's like the first and only scene that we get of Mia, like, speaking to the camera like that or like yeah. doing like she, I'm going to say she was acting like a reporter but that's not exactly she was. what it was or like I mean like, like a journalist her own documentary or like yeah. explaining what what's happening in terms yeah. of how it's affecting I'm her I'm here thesis. in front of like, Deborah Logan's house she has yeah. Alzheimer's disease let's see what happens <laughs> it was very much like that yeah in that sense it felt like a story she was covering yeah. Versus a story she was telling through footage, if that makes yeah. sense. I don't know. If that... yeah. I don't know if that's like a requirement for like a thesis film. I don't know. I don't know anything mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, like who's her audience here? Because if it's her thesis that she's going to like present to yeah. other experts in the field, I'd be like, uh, <laughs> we know what that is. Yeah, that's that raises a good question. Maybe if it's supposed to be a documentary intended for an audience you know, like a general audience, then sure. But I don't know. I don't either. It did feel a little weird. As they prepare for their first interview segment, Deborah gives Sarah a bit of a hard time for dressing less feminine than she would like before they dive into this question of when Sarah and Deborah thought that she might have Alzheimer's. I liked this little scene here because i think it said so much without having without lingering a lot i think we get pretty much everything we need to know right off the bat about sarah and deborah's relationship right here in this one little scene Mm -hmm. and it's not just that deborah was talking about sarah's appearance by like trying to get her to do the jacket off it was that she basically forced her to take the jacket off and then was like then looked at mia it was like well you're always so pretty to mia who is like traditionally feminine like right in front of sarah which is so rude and then 
Sarah like handles it in the way that you know it seems like she's done her whole life mm-hmm. is a little embarrassed a little irritated but just like kind of moves past it and meanwhile Deborah's like is that your dad's shirt like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah yeah it's so I one of the things that I do really like about this movie is that they have this like overtly lesbian character like she's she's a explicitly queer and then be like very yeah like queer coded and they don't mm-hmm. they they it's part of the plot like they do use it to build her backstory mm-hmm. but all it really does is inform her relationship with her mother it's yeah, not yeah. Like, that's not the focus of the movie that's not why we're here like that's mm-hmm. not why we're interested in sarah as the documentary crew it's just right. like that informs the nuances of her relationship yeah. with her mom mm-hmm. which has apparently always been sort of fraught but she does mm-hmm. still have a lot of respect for her mother which we hear in this interview that we're about to yeah Um, Yeah. she has like nothing but positive things to say about her mom yeah despite the Mm -hmm. fact that you can tell there is tension in their relationship and that's like part of the reason that it's that their relationship is so heartbreaking and like what sarah is trying to do for her mom like take care of her and like trying to make all the ends meet is it's like you you get that tension you get like that kind of like judgment from Deborah, but Sarah's like, I'm here sacrificing everything anyway because I love you and I want to help you. Mm-hmm. And then we get kind of like a, a sort of mirror to that near the end of the film. We learn like what the history of Desjardins and mm-hmm. Deborah really is. Yeah. And we the, see like the, the lengths that Deborah has gone to protect right. Sarah. And you're like, okay, so even if they aren't connecting on the level that maybe they would like to be connecting, there is still like such a deep love there between the two of them and they would they have done they have both done a lot of work to help keep the other one like safe and comfortable and i think that's really i think that's really cool i think it's it's something to easily overlook if you were Mm -hmm. watching this for the first time because so much so much is happening Mm -hmm. yeah like yeah the tension that exists between them but then when you realize that how what the lengths like you said that deborah went to to protect sarah is almost kind of like a, a semi-reconciliation that's not stated, but like understood by the audience. Like, yeah. Okay. She, maybe she hasn't, maybe Sarah has not felt accepted because of who she is, but that was her, that was her mom's way, way of showing love for her that she was mm-hmm. unaware of. Mm-hmm. This really does encapsulate though, like what I was talking about earlier about like what I like in terms of this movie, just kind of throwing a lot at the wall. Like the editing here, I think is really good. It doesn't linger. It's Mm -hmm. like, you get like this really quick interaction between Sarah and Deborah. Deborah's like, is that your dad's shirt? And it cuts before like, Mm-hmm. you even really get to kind of take in everything that just happened and we're already yeah. talking about something else mm-hmm. and i think that this film does that really well with character development it also does it really well with scares where you're getting a lot of information but they don't try to linger on it for too long because mm-hmm. they're like you have it you don't need it anymore we're going on to the next thing yeah and i think that that works in its favor yeah mm-hmm so deborah explains that like her leaving the stove on at first wasn't wasn't that outlandish you know like the things that i think it was her mother used to do were far more terrifying and were clear signs and then we get to meet deborah's neurologist who insists that even though this diagnosis is bad news for everyone who gets it deborah's fighting and is going to do everything that she can that is also i think a super important thing that they established really early in the movie as well Mm -hmm. yeah because like she looks good 
at the start of the film and she's like yes. yeah i'm doing my exercises and doing my crossword puzzles mm-hmm. i'm i'm doing everything that i'm supposed to be doing to stay healthy yeah and we can see that very quickly things de-escalate oh not not de-escalate yeah. they escalate <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so we get a little bit of backstory about deborah um we learned that her husband died prematurely of a pulmonary embolism when sarah was just a child and in order to make ends meet and provide for her deborah started up a switchboard and became a cornerstone of the town and helped keep everyone's dirty secrets which is cool Uh, Deborah's daily life now is a struggle. Even small tasks like paying for groceries can be hard for her. And Deborah expresses how terrible it is to be in the middle of a task and have her mind just leave her. I will note that this is something I kind of wish that this movie pushed the Alzheimer's aspect of everything a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Because like you can tell that they're obviously trying to draw a parallel between like a possession and yes. yeah alzheimer's kind of losing right? yourself to yeah losing control yeah. of yourself to alzheimer's yeah and it works for a very short amount of time and then it's just so obvious that this is a possession you know what i yes. mean yeah well yeah i don't i'm not saying that i want us to be more like oh my god is she crazy or is she is she possessed mm-hmm. like i like that isn't exactly what i want but like yeah i do think that putting a little more effort into the buildup would have made the payoff a little bit better in terms of that metaphor i think that we see not a ton of movies that really focus on the elderly as like sources of 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 fear you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. but we don't have a ton of movies that do specifically what this movie is doing like with alzheimer's or dementia Mm -hmm. the only thing i can really think of that brings it to mind would be relic from mm-hmm. a couple years ago great film which it's a it's a better movie than this is honestly but uh, it does a very similar thing yeah and it's i highly recommend it if you guys like this movie you would definitely be interested in that one i would say but um what what relic is able to do that this movie isn't able to do is really push that line farther so that yeah. the illness itself is scary mm-hmm. yeah this become as more like a possession is scary narrative and as somebody who has a family member with dementia like i have seen firsthand like how terrifying that kind of illness can be mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. alzheimer's is worse um so mm-hmm. i think that there's a lot of potential there that is just kind of untapped in this yeah i like what it does don't get me wrong i do think that it does end in like a it ends with a bang <laughs> yeah but yeah. um I did want more. Yeah. I would definitely second that because it does seem like the film kind of abandons mm-hmm. the disease pretty yes. quickly. They're I like, agree. we're here to talk about this other person. Yeah. And like the mystery. And I think like part of that feeds into like what they're trying to say about Alzheimer's and like how you can like become like a different person. Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, I get what you're saying, and I agree yeah. with you. I, I'm i glad, Natalie, that you brought up that you have experience with, you know, a family member who had dementia. Mm-hmm. Because I was actually going to ask, like, obviously we do have this metaphorical relationship going on. And because it's such a disastrous, like, truly tragic disease, 
I was going to ask if any like listeners or anyone knew someone with dementia or with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. because I I personally don't know how accurate this this depiction is or you know if they did a good job comparing it to possession. So yeah, I would I'm definitely interested in your thoughts as we continue to see what you think about that because I just don't have the experience to like either verify that or say nah that wasn't like a really that wasn't a sensitive or like really accurate depiction does that I make will sense say, no i completely understand what you're saying yeah i think that i i will say a lot of this is a little salacious but like mm-hmm. you also have to think like what they do in the second half kind of calls for that mm-hmm. in a sense so like i'm not surprised by it i do think that one of the things that sets this movie apart from your typical possession horror in my opinion is that we're focusing on a an elderly woman instead of a young like hot (laughs) mom age girl Um, or yeah um and like she's doing the same shit so we're getting like weird weird contortions we're getting a lot of weird body shit levitating a lot of screaming like a lot of noises (laughs) and it doesn't have like that weird sort of sexual element that we mm-hmm. normally have in these things yeah that makes Which sense is great that's yeah. fine but i think that it replaces that with this other entity that i think is equally as unsettling i don't think it's equally as unsettling, but it's also unsettling yeah, yeah and that's the visual of a grown woman like a grown elderly woman basically regressing yeah. to something that is very childlike or very animalistic mm-hmm. and i think that that loss of control is what is like truly mm-hmm. like scary in this movie and i think that they touch yeah. on that with the alzheimer's but it becomes more palatable as we go on and we see her really just start to fucking lose her mind yeah that's that's why i liked i really liked the role that the neurologist played because she provided a, lo- a lot of the like confirmation that this is like this is not how it's supposed to be. Like, yes, it's terrible and horrible and all of this does happen once it progresses far enough. But like mm-hmm. having it happen this early is unusual and abnormal. So I, yeah. I like the scene where she's like, yeah, you usually you start with like mild cognitive impairment, I think is what yeah. she said. And then it's mm-hmm. like, then, you know, you get the big bad. And like she, I don't know if she said she basically bypassed that MCI stage and just went straight to no. the, but yeah, she, I think she said, like it just progressed so quickly that they weren't really prepared for what they were encountering this early on. Yeah. I think that that does work, but it, it is interesting. Like when you think about like films in general, where, where the focus is on like elderly people, most mm-hmm. of the time it's just all about those people being outside of situations we're used to seeing them in. So like yeah. we get um, nudity in this movie. There's always going to be, elderly people in the nude in a movie where they're the horror like mm-hmm. the, the, where yeah, they're the scary like thing the visit uh-huh like that mm-hmm. when you're confronted with age i think that yeah. that is like confronted with death you know what i mean like that sort of mm-hmm. thing and i think that i think it's i just think it's interesting i wanted to do some like research on like the role of like horror movies about like being old but i did not get very far in my research before it was time to record Mm -hmm. um so if anybody has read anything that they think would be relevant i would love to know about that drop it in like our comments or whatever but Mm -hmm. um yeah like if you think about like movies like the visit movies like x Mm -hmm. relic this 
there are other movies. I guess like in Hereditary, the cult was a lot of old people. Yeah. Midsummer, same kind of vibes. Yeah. And that you saying that makes me think of like this this takes that horror of aging to it takes it a step farther to the the horror of aging pathologically. Like like adding yeah. a disease on top of it, you know, yeah. like just makes it even worse and mm-hmm. even more even more horrifying. Mm-hmm. Weird things begin to happen shortly after the crew's arrival. As Luis, one of the camera guys, installs some cameras to help capture all areas of the house, Deborah disappears into a closet. But when he goes to investigate after hearing the door slam, she's not there. Spooky. (laughs) There's a spooky. (laughs) Later that night, there's a huge commotion in the kitchen when Deborah curses out another of the camera guys, Gavin, and threatens him with a knife because she believes he's taken her spade and she desperately wants it back. This was this was a lot. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he gets on the counter, that was yeah. hilarious. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing up there? And he's like, yeah. I, like, <laughs> like what am I gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Or he's like crawling like, out the window. He can't fight her. She's an old woman. You yeah. Know what I mean, like she, but she's, she's a danger. Like he's mm-hmm. at risk right now. And that's one of the things that is like scary about like dementia in general. Like people just yeah. kind of lose, lose their faculties and do things that they would never yeah. normally do. Mm-hmm. And it's just wild. Yeah. Yeah. And then like watching Sarah go to grab her mom and me is like, don't, don't touch her. And it's like, well, what else is she going to do? She has a knife. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Like you have to get the knife out of her hand. Mm -hmm. It takes everyone some time to not only calm Deborah down, but to also locate the spade, which was curiously in the freezer. Sarah goes to return it to her and finds Deborah staring eerily out of a window. She whispers to herself that Sarah must know before turning around and ripping a piece of skin off of her neck. My note just says in all capital letters, she ripped, her off, she ripped off her skin. Why? <laughs> it just comes right off. It's like, here's Dude, this chunk of flesh. I texted this to Heidi yesterday, but like, I have seen this movie multiple times. Like, I would say at this point, probably like four or five times. Yeah. And I, I, I love this movie. Um, but every single time I watch it, I'm always surprised by the amount of skin that gets removed. <laughs> like, it happens mm-hmm. so often and it's so gross and you guys know how much I hate that. Yes. And I'm just like, oh. And I'm over this here one like, is, let's go. This one's particularly <laughs> gnarly too. Yeah, yeah. she's like, just like, oh. It's like she's trying to like rip out her vocal cords so that she can't speak anymore yeah because i was like i felt like some flesh came with it like it wasn't just skin but maybe it was it was disgusting is what it it was it it might yeah i was like how would you dig i don't even know i don't want to know if you could dig in that much yeah well you it's probably like one of those things where like you can but your body tells you not i know that's what i'm thinking like yeah like how they say the finger your pinky like biting a finger is like biting a carrot no way yeah, that's, that's what, what they say about your That's pinky. what they say. Oh, that shit fucks me up. But, like, it takes the same amount of force to bite off your finger than it would be to bite uh, a carrot Yes, off, like, when I carrot. learned it takes the same amount of force to rip off someone's ear as it does to, like, slam a door shut. That's 
awful. I look <laughs> next time you're in a fight, so y'all. I don't know. I don't know if that's I'm true. Like, I remember gonna hearing cry. that as a kid and having like intrusive yeah. thoughts. <laughs> hey, if um any any doctors listening, I think a couple doctors might listen to our podcast. Could you let us know if any of this is true? <laughs> yes. I have the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> that's the clinical term, the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. His skin is yeah. crawling. Let's move on. And then it's like, how did people realize this? <laughs> Ew. Ew. Everybody go watch Raw. But yeah, so Debbie's getting worse. <laughs> Debbie's getting worse. You know, they do take her to the hospital and like... I mean, because why would you not? <laughs> yeah. And she returns home and... um. She does apologize to Gavin for saying all those things to him. And this is when we learn what Laura just mentioned, that she's, like, way, way worse than everybody thought yeah. she was. Yeah. Where, like, they're like, she's in, like, the middle stages now. But Sarah was like, you said that we have two or three more years. It's like, something's going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you didn't know there was a spooky involved. Yeah. But, like, after she gets back, Louise happens upon Deborah talking to herself in her bedroom, saying that she didn't know several times and mentioning that she bleeds and asks mm. someone or something to stop. Just as she notices Louise, though, he, like, cuts the footage and leaves her alone. That That's shot, spooky. That shot was so good. Yes. Also, props to Louise for, like, sticking with yeah. it. I mean... Gavin, yes, was totally justified in leaving. I probably would have left. But Luis, like, every time they push him forward later in the movie, yeah. they're like, you go first. You have the light on the camera. And he's just, like, taking it. <laughs> I, yeah, the framing of that shot was so good. Yeah. Like, her being on the bed and then, like, seeing half of her face in the mirror. Yeah. Excellent mm-hmm. framing. Oh, Ex- yeah. Very, very yeah. spooky. Very good. And then when she turns, like, malicious at the very end, and yeah. she looks at him. Ooh, that look on her face. Oh, my God. If yeah. I was Luis, I would I would have left. I would have left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, sorry, guys, I gotta go. <laughs> I love the way that this film builds tension. Yeah. And yeah. I think part of that is because it doesn't linger for too mm-hmm. long. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, wasn't that weird? Here's more weird stuff. Yeah. Wasn't that weird? Okay, anyway. Like, <laughs> if you answered yes, buckle up. Sarah is coping as best as she can by drinking. This A is lot. all incredibly hard on her. Not only is she helping take care of her mother, but Deborah clearly does not approve of Sarah being a lesbian. And we kind of like dove into that already. Mm-hmm. As the crew are, like, hanging out and, like, drinking with Sarah, they hear a strange crackle and a weird thud. Sarah rushes upstairs to go check on Deborah, but Luis then sees her walking around the house in the dark in her stark white nightgown. He follows her into, I think, the painting room, where he finds her staring out the window with a hammer in her hand. The motion sensor light comes on and Sarah insists that it's just Deborah thinking that there must have been an intruder. And then Deborah like walks over and starts nailing the window shut. And Sarah's like, we're nailing the window shut again. And I'm like, (laughs) girl, this is not, so this has happened before? Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I love how Deborah's just like so resolute though. She's like, yep, this will keep him out. <laughs> One day. Well, I think it also it also really points out to me, I think, in the context of the movie, that like weird shit like this has been happening the oh, whole yeah. time. For sure. Yeah. Sarah's yeah. been alone and hasn't had a camera crew with her. So like no one's yeah. seen the extent of it until yeah. now. There's also, I think, in this shot, or like maybe when they first go to the painting room, that you get 
to see one of the paintings and there is like a shadow coming closer to mm-hmm. the window. And yeah. like you we get more of that later, but it's like scary. Yeah. That, just because I love these types of films, I was like, oh, oh, that's the demon. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. It's right there. It's literally right there. She it's saw it yeah. the whole time. And spooky. So good. And I do like, I, I will I will obviously just mention that I do really like the way that they do the Sarah's, like, little story about her and that girl so kissing. So good. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that it is a very understated story, but it says mm-hmm. so much about, yeah. like the growth of that relationship especially when it's put into even more context near the films i don't really see like you know whatever it did but and i i just really like the idea that like this is a gay character and like the thing it's not just like all about her being sad and gay like she yeah yeah like she's like i i have a person i'm worried about that person now because i'm stuck with my mom but like mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. are fine we figured it out this is just this just informs who she is mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think that's cool yeah in the middle of the night, one of the surveillance cameras catches a strange, like, electrical sound, or it's some kind of sound that happens before Deborah jumps awake and rushes out. Who knows how long it is before Sarah realizes that she is missing, but Sarah and the crew start to search the house and find the window that had been nailed shut is now forcefully opened and there's blood on it. Like, dude, and the the dude nails. Luis is just like, oh, tetanus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am Luis. That's the first thing I would think. <laughs> Luis or is it Gavin? Whichever one of them is doing it at the moment. Just like, oh, oh, tetanus. I think it's Gavin. Yeah. Whoever. I don't know. Somebody. They go outside, though, and they find that Deborah's in the yard stabbing the dirt with the spade over and over and over again. Chill, chill, chill. Mia tries to help wash the blood off of Deborah's hands, but Deborah barely wants to engage with her and is just like staring at her all creepy. And the Mm -hmm. only thing that she does say, she says it with disappointment and judgment that Sarah doesn't like to get manicures. It is, it is interesting that there's so much focus on Sarah's lack of femininity from Deborah. And I'm like, and it is just like, it's like, what does it mean? Is it, is it Deborah or is it, yeah. Henri. Mm. I think it's just Henry. Yeah. Well, I was saying I, Henri. I don't was... know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, just... <laughs> I I was not saying that I think it's Henry saying that. I was saying, oh, no, I just... think it's pronounced Henry. <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's what, that's what I was responding to. Okay, Henri. sure. Henri. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe, definitely, she was saying that stuff when she was not possessed, but maybe mm-hmm. it's just more pronounced when he is kind of taking her over. I don't know. I don't know. Gaffin shows Mia and Louise the strange footage of Deborah in the kitchen before her incident in the garden. The timestamp like runs continuously, but somehow one moment Deborah's just like standing on the ground in front of the stove, and then the next she's standing on the counter. No chair, no climbing. This is some paranormal activity shit. That's it's weird. Mm-hmm. She glitched. It does seem like she clipped through the stove. <laughs> she like really did. She just got her too got her too close to it. <laughs> During another interview, the crew and Sarah show Deborah this footage of her in the garden. She breaks down into tears, apologizing, and Sarah reveals that Deborah's been talking about like, don't answer the phone, like someone's calling her. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, Deborah lunges at the crew, specifically at Gavin, 
and they managed to get her off of him, but it's clear that there's something else in play now. Yeah, that was when she just like fucking jumps at them. That was that was kind of creepy. That was really creepy. She does that a lot throughout the movie. It's just like everything's yeah. fine, everything's fine, and Deborah lunches. <laughs> she does this thing with her body, which I think is like a real credit to what who's the actress? Jill Larson. Jill Larson, where she like hunches and she like kind of like curls in on herself and then she like explodes outward mm-hmm. with like it's it's incredible big props to her mm-hmm. so everybody goes to the hospital again and they start to run like a bunch of tests but particularly one gnarly scene of her getting a spinal tap which makes me want to vomit yeah yeah it is it's really rough it reminds yeah. me of like that scene in the exorcist where they take her to the doctor and they do all those tests on her and it just mm-hmm. looks like it's one of the scariest parts of the movie and yeah. it's just her at the doctor <laughs> yeah same vibes just seeing her spines protrude so much yeah because yeah, she's so small yeah yeah mm. so they're like conducting all of these other tests because there's strange anomalies not normally associated with alzheimer's that are plaguing deborah including this large scaly rash on her back and the fact that she's just straight up growling at people now yeah yeah they do i think the neurologist does say like in cases like this we would assume either contact dermatitis or like an allergic reaction to a medication that she's taking yes but like this is something else yeah we don't like we're not sure (laughs) she's like we're gonna get some specialists in we're not gonna touch this yeah we're calling in a specialist from richmond things continue to get worse and even more weird one night the crew returns to the house to find morris the neighbor and sarah what you mean harris wait it's harris and not morris yeah it's harris (laughs) you said harris at the beginning i did yeah (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-oh it's okay you said Harris before. You I did, but then I started writing Morris. <laughs> <laughs> they try what? red. They try red herring with this guy so bad. Yeah, they they want him to be a red herring so bad. Well, okay, Harris, the neighbor, and Sarah are have like Deborah tackled to the ground, and they're trying to get her to stop eating these little figurines that are all around the house. Yeah, that's, that's scary. fucked up. <laughs> One night. Gavin gets the bright idea that he's going to hang a cross necklace up in the house. He goes into the painting room to find the window that Deborah had attempted to nail shut. While there, he looks at some of Deborah's paintings that depict a figure getting closer and closer and closer to the window. He dismisses it like she just has issues and then hangs the cross from one of the nails. When That'll he turns, do Deborah is standing there. And insists that he's letting all the heat out. And suddenly the window opens by itself. Me in the middle of the night. You're letting all the heat out. (laughs) But the window was closed. Dun dun dun. Spooky. Deborah's sleepwalking has become a problem in and of itself. (laughs) One night the crew are woken up by a horribly loud old timey phone ringing sound that's coming from the switchboard. Oh. Deborah's like gotten naked inexplicably and has made her way up into the attic and somehow gotten this ancient thing to work 
And she starts to cry and crumples in on herself. And when she sits back up, a voice that's not her own starts to yell out that, quote, she's an ugly thing and some other gibberish that we don't know yet. Letting the, it, that was so scary. Like, I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I think this is the part that I saw. I watched the trailer like once and I remembered one part of it. And it's where a, a naked woman gets electrocuted. <laughs> That's it. That's the part. <laughs> That's like, the part. This is the part. Did you guys see the um the cut to the face? Yeah. What, subliminal what? images. Yeah. No. I took a photo. Ooh. I was going to bring that up at, at the end. I might have caught it, but I don't remember. I took a picture. I was sending it to you. Okay. Because I was able to pause it on the face. She does it's get electrocuted, right? Yeah. I don't... Does she? Well, I mean, she gets the... the, the There's also sparking on fire. No, it like, doesn't. It like, does. Yeah, it does. Oh. The switchboard, like, something sparks and the thing lights on fire. And then it's like a whoosh. And then um, we get the, the subliminal messaging and then we're back. Oh, shit. And then they take her back to the hospital again. Yeah. I think I saw this. I just didn't know what was happening. What do you, do you think it was effective? Sure. Like, uh, like I understand that it's also like a reference to the exorcist with the spooky demon thing. Yeah. I just I thought it was an interesting choice. Yeah, I thought I thought it was cool. I I didn't really. This is the first time I was able to see it up close like this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, don't they say something? Don't they explain it by saying like she's kind of doing things that either she was trying to recall a memory or she's yeah. doing things that she used to do all the time as a way to like kind of establish a routine, get back to a routine. I don't know. They explain. They, they say a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a lot of and none theories. of them are right. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of spitballing. Yeah, none of it's correct. <laughs> the neurologist arrives as they try to calm Deborah down, and they get her just and try to get her to stop hallucinating and also hyperventilating. Yeah, the the breath, the breathing, the, that, that got quick yeah. edit, the quick cut, and then the breaths. Whew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The doctor gives the crew a sedative that they can use in the future and encourages them to get to the bottom of why she was so drawn to the board and specifically port 337. On another day, who knows how much time is passing. Gavin reveals that he's been able to translate this supposed gibberish that Deb was speaking. Turns out it's not gibberish, it's French. And it had to be modulated since it was not in a normal acoustic range. That's spooky enough. Mm-hmm. But what's spookier is that the translation says, the eternal serpent will free you, child. Be my fifth. Be my fifth. It says that a couple times. Mm-hmm. I will wash you in the river. Your blood will feed the river. Yeah. That's weird. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> and? <laughs> and this is where the film pivots entirely. There, there is a slight pivot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes Sarah and the crew open up another attic that contains the switchboard records hoping to you know get to the bottom of whatever was happening there but the page that contains the notes for that specific port have been ripped out the drama I have so much respect for you Heidi for actually having to write down the what happens to get to the end of the movie at this point (laughs) yeah it's like i swear if somebody put a gun to my head it was like hey explain to me how they figure out who the guy is i could not do it (laughs) (laughs) it's it's kind of a leap but they do it (laughs) 
Luis is like, does she have charcoal? Because, you know, if you write hard enough, there's imprints on the next page, which would definitely be true for my handwriting. Luis gets the idea to do a charcoal rubbing and is able to find the name De Hardin. Turns out, this guy was a local pediatrician who went missing in the 70s, but was suspected of killing four young girls. The way that they were killed, according, according to this documentary, is similar to an old, I'm pretty sure I'm saying this right, Monacan ritual. There is an Ouroboros carving on their foreheads, or like cauterized onto their foreheads. Parts of their bodies were cannibalized, and each of them had rattlesnake venom in their system. I love how Sarah's just like, you don't know who this guy is? Yeah, yeah, I know. It was all over the news. So I was like, "Oh, you don't know, you don't know about this guy?" And they're like, yeah. "Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, oh, there's a documentary about it's it. It's on YouTube. Here you go. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like I mean, great. I didn't find that hard to believe. I was just like, it was yeah, just funny. I mean, it's convenient that she knows all about him. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was funny. like a it was like a big moment in her childhood. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. But yeah, it is odd that she was like, "Oh, you don't know." Another important detail of this alleged sacrifice was that all of the girls were having their first period during the time that they were murdered so that it could be mm-hmm. apparently fed to the demon. Of course. This anthropologist guy believes that Dehardine's motive might have been to use the ritual to attain immortality, but since he only sacrificed for the five girls, he failed. I love how the anthropologist is first like giving this very rational explanation, and then and then they're like, "Yeah, but we don't believe that." And he's like, "Okay, here's the good shit." He's like, "I got this <laughs> filed away. Here are some photos. Here's what's happening. Maybe." It was, here's the good he shit. like immediately jumps from like reasonable yeah. explanation to like, "Okay, let's get down to business." Over breakfast, Sarah asks Deborah about Dehardine, and she does seem to recognize the name. She can't remember if he was a client or not, but thinks that he might have been. Sarah says that Dehardine had gone missing, but Deborah corrects her. He's not missing. He's dead. But specifically, he's been murdered. Yeah, I love it. She goes, murder. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. We don't need to say it like that. <laughs> or do we? <laughs> we do need to say it. I guess we like do. Like that. Deborah then races out of the room to the bathroom and Sarah follows after her and there's like all these strange sounds that are kind of coming from the other side. And when Sarah opens the door, Deborah is collapsed on the floor, but has apparently vomited up dirt and earthworms. Yum. That's normal. (laughs) We go to the hospital again, because when you're old, this happens a lot. We basically live there now. (laughs) Yeah. While Deborah's there, Mia suggests that Harris, I guess I did start writing it correctly again, um, (laughs) may have something to do with the disappearance or murder of Dehardine, right? Murder. Every time I see it, I want to pronounce it the way I think it should be pronounced. Because they say Dehardine in the film, so I can't just suddenly change it. That's true. I'll sound dumb. No, you'll sound elitist. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's Des Jardins. <laughs> 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 uh, 
as the crew decides like what they want for dinner, they hear gunshots outside. It's Harris and he's shooting up the crew's car with like a shotgun. Understandably, the next morning, Gavin abandons ship, takes the car, and leaves. So I was wondering, I get that he wants them to leave, but like, within the broader story, why would he do that? Why would he shoot the van, or why would he want them to leave? Why would he want them to leave? Like, does he not want them to... Because this comes at a point where they're starting to uncover what's, yeah. what is going on, and how he's involved, and how Deborah's involved. So I'm like... Is he wanting to keep it covered up or like, I don't know. Or is he just at that point still wanting them to leave because he thinks that they're causing Deborah undue stress? I think it's both. I think that, yeah, I think that the movie is trying to make it kind of both. I think that they're not doing a good job of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, it yeah. seems like, okay, he's just going kind of nuts. Yeah, but because they're trying to also, they're also trying to put, throw suspicion onto him. Exactly. You know I mean? yeah, exactly. Like, like he murdered DeHardy. Right. So I'm like, knowing that he didn't, what would his motive be? I, they, I think that they're just basically trying to say that he cares deeply about Deb and mm-hmm. thinks that the documentary is making her worse. Yeah, and they've had, like, several scenes prior to this that were so small that I didn't include them. But he's been like, you need to get rid of them. You need yeah, to get yeah. rid of these people. They're they're making things worse. And if it's, like, if it's about money, I'm going to sell my tractor. Like yeah, he, he obviously cares about her a great deal. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. So I was like, is there also something else going on? Because, like you said, they're, they're trying to cast suspicion on him. But, like, knowing that he, that didn't happen... There's no other reason for him to do that. It was just Yeah, like, I think I think it's just poor. He's drunk, poor. I guess, and just poor writing. Yeah. I really thought that he was faking being drunk. Oh, really? Damn. I did not. Mm-hmm. Because when he walks up, he is so purposeful. Yeah. With his shooting, and then when the sheriff shows up, he's conveniently drinking. You could be right. I could see but that. But that's just me. Yeah. There's nothing to really refute that. Yeah, I know. There's nothing to back it up, but like... <laughs> <laughs> Just my gut instinct. Me and Luis discover that Deborah has, you know, escaped her hospital bed. And apparently she's kidnapped a young girl from pediatrics and then, like, takes her into this unused part of the hospital. Which I think is actually a pretty good sequence in the whole film. Yeah. When they're, like, down there. That's spooky. I think it's interesting that she they chose a cancer patient. Yeah. Also, yeah. Because they both, because like the cancer patient is obviously losing her hair and Deborah's hairline has been slowly receding this whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder why the the girl was so, seemingly so complacent. Like, I understand being scared and not wanting to try She to... was underneath some sort of spell. Yeah, that's what so? I thought okay. too. That, that's yeah. what I wondered. I was like, she looks like she's kind of out of it. So I didn't know if yeah, yeah, yeah. she had been kind of... Um, bewitched yes bewitched is the word i was looking for it's very odd the staff are able to recover her name is Kara, and restrain deborah but you know weird shit's just beginning mm-hmm. sarah and the crew are at wit's end trying to figure it all out sarah even goes so far as to ask a priest to do an exorcism but the guy's like we don't really do those i think That's we've already mi- i think we've already passed That's the a scene, lie but like yeah the part where they're looking at the where like 
where the documentary crew is kind of putting everything together and like they're showing everything to Sarah. Sarah just goes, "What? I'm I'm stupid. What are you getting at?" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like literally, I think some of the dialogue near this ending part is so funny because like you can tell that they're just kind of like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> like, lay it what out." What are reacting to now? Well, yeah, and I know that they're are like certain priests that can perform exorcisms and some that can't like there's like you have to kind of be designated as an exorcist i think mm-hmm. but like when he's like i we i we can't do that i'm like well couldn't you find someone that's what sarah says too yeah like you have to know someone yeah i don't know i just felt i thought that was weird like that they would outright deny yeah. it well we also don't know if he was like a catholic priest or not so yeah, yeah he could just true. be some guy just some guy wearing a a, a collar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mia manages to arrange a meeting with the anthropologist from the documentary about the murders. The guy says, and this kills me every time, the only logical explanation is that Deborah is so obsessed with Dehardine now that she thinks she is him. It's the only logical explanation. Yeah. Yeah. That boggles my mind that he's like, well, this is it. This is it. Yeah, this must be it. This is it. I'm just like, dude, what? (laughs) However, it's also possible that her weakened mind could have been preyed upon by a vengeful entity seeking revenge. Who is this guy? And he's he's very much so it's like, I think it's the I think that she's just obsessed with him. And that's the thing. But if if on some way, if if somehow she was possessed, I think that we should just do what Supernatural does and, and burn, burn the bodies. Like, I'm like, come yeah. on. <laughs> oh, maybe I was getting this mixed up. That's what I was referring to earlier when, is this when yeah. you the photos? Yeah, he's like, this is from my time with, um, yeah, yeah, he yeah. names a group of people and he's like, and there was this mother and. Yeah, and she was so stricken yeah. with grief that, yeah. So that's what I was referring to earlier when he was like, first, all right, here's the logical, the only logical explanation. Now, okay, actually, here's the good shit. Like, this is what is actually happening to her because I've seen it. I just thought that was such a wild turn. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That scene in particular, I think, is a little bit not awesome. I'm like, this guy's off the grid or something. (laughs) He's like a rogue anthropologist. Yes. They're really trying to make make the spooky happen now I think I don't know Mm -hmm. whatever in the hospital room Harris arrives and takes off Deborah's restraints and then Deborah asks him to kill her and it's sad Mm -hmm. it is sad and then he does (laughs) he tries (laughs) he's like yeah okay I'll try this for you and so he grabs a pillow and tries to suffocate her but like as she's dying the tv on the wall starts to like shake and rattle and then shoots off its mount and launches itself at the back of his head yeah henry straight up just launched a tv at this man (laughs) (laughs) and if that wasn't like shocking enough with harris's dying breaths he confesses that sarah was originally meant to be the fifth victim and in order to protect her Deborah stabbed DeHardine in the neck with her spade. Let's and then go. and then Harris and Deb buried him alive in the yard. Like yes. they didn't just stab him. They bury him alive. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> Insane. 
Murder. (laughs) Straight up. This point, Sarah learning this, I think, kind of breaks Sarah a little bit. Mm -hmm. She is a little crazy for the rest of the film. It's very much so, like, she is, I think, now the only person that really knows what's going on. But it is so crazy that she seems insane while she is, like... (laughs) Taking up this body, not even like not even like insane, but it's just so wild that it seems like she is just out here making all the shit up on the fly. Yeah, like she like I comes know. back and she's like, "Here's what we gotta do: we gotta dig up the body, we gotta burn it." And everyone's like, "Yeah, what the fuck!" And she's like carrying it around with her in the attic. Yeah, <laughs> like she's also like fully on board. She's like, "Yep, this guy Henry <laughs> DeHardin possessing my mom. We gotta find Honestly, the body." Like, that's the energy that they need to get them mm-hmm. through the next bit. Because, like, without that, this would not have happened. <laughs> it's chaos is what it is. It's so much. So yeah. fast. Oh, my goodness gracious. <sighs> so the crew goes with Sarah to the statue marking where they buried DeHardine alive. And they begin digging to find his body. Unfortunately, all they can find is the spade and a piece of a bag but no body sarah is horrified and realizes that deborah must have dug it up already and theorizes as they're searching the house that dehardine has been taking control of deborah and made her dig it up and hide it they search the whole house and finally i don't i don't know how they didn't notice this before finally find a strange looking mold on the ceiling near an attic yeah when Mm -hmm. they go upstairs they find a bunch of weird goo and other mysterious fluids and substances and finally a burlap bag that smells awful and contains the remains of henry de Hardin. what yeah. is all that weird shit that is everywhere who knows it's like i thought maybe i was like okay maybe ectoplasm but that doesn't make sense and then i was like why is it that color because it's not blood it's like orange Mm-hmm. I have no idea. It's gross. I didn't like it. I thought that was nasty. Was it? it would it be something related to snakes? I don't Maybe. know. Do snakes get juicy when they shed their skin? <laughs> you juicy no. snakes. <laughs> they actually get dry. <laughs> Just get well, that makes sweet. more sense. But like, why? It's it's like really wet and gross up there, and I don't yeah. like it. Yeah, it's just I think it's just more more nastiness. They're like, we haven't had her lose skin in a while. It's it's coming. Don't worry. It's coming. (laughs) It is coming. To try and free Deborah from DeHardine's possession, they try to, like, dump the body into the fireplace. And, like, when they go to reach for it, they hear these snakes hissing. And then, like, a whole bunch of them slither out. And, like, I have not talked about how many snakes have shown up in the movie yet. There's been a lot of snakes. There's been a lot of snakes. This is, like, genuinely so funny. Like, the shot of them trying to get the lighter to light the bag. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's squeezing the lighter fluid on. Yeah. And then she's like, you have to push the thing. And Mia's like, I'm pushing it. And Sarah's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you didn't <laughs> put enough. Oh, my God. So relatable. Oh, the meanwhile, they're just snakes all over the room. It's so funny. Like, it's like, what is happening? They do manage to get the bag, like, lit on fire. But then there's like this loud yell or scream. It's a loud sound. And yeah. something like explodes and puts the fire out. And yeah. as they flee the house, 
Mia turns around and sees a man in the window looking at them. That was Fucked. spooky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like so much is happening. And like when you're watching this for the first time, it's not as funny as I think it is because I've seen it so many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like there is like a lot of scary stuff happening and it is very yeah. tense. It's just also wild. This is very out of pocket. Like, <laughs> yeah. It goes from zero to 60 in the blink of an eye. It yeah. does. And I totally forgot that Sarah's just carrying around this fucking body in a bag for the rest yeah. of the movie. Like, for, the rest of the the for the rest of the movie. When she pulls it out at the end in the cave, I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? How I is know. Her inventory? <laughs> it's like she went through a fucking like, like small space. She had to crawl yeah. through. I'm like, she's just carrying this odorous, like rancid smelling bag with her yeah let's not forget that it like stinks like everybody reacts to that and she's just out here carrying it around got my bag she's running on pure adrenaline she's just trying to save her mom and kara yeah kara yeah Yeah. i think it's kara okay oh jeez sarah then gets sarah gets a distressing call that deborah has escaped the hospital again and she's also (laughs) kidnapped that little girl Again. again We get some really cool hospital footage B-roll mm-hmm. of her just, like, casually degloving both of her hands. I want to die. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I want to be dead. It's <laughs> so gross. She's just like, whoop. <gasps> oh, my yeah. God. It's scary, though. I also love the security camera footage when it's just, like, her and Kara standing there and the security guy's like whoa what are you doing and, and she then she just him. launches at him and bites him mm-hmm. it's a why because people don't expect old women to do that i they don't frank, expect anyone i don't expect anyone yeah 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 but like especially an old lady you know what i mean yeah I guess, she goes yeah. she's like a vampire she goes straight for the neck mm-hmm. no she's a snake oh snake. that's right she is yeah. a slithery snake she knows what she's doing she's not what she's doing oh everybody's on board now that Dehardine is possessing Deborah. So yeah. they go to the sites of the old sacrifices with the sheriff and do manage to find Deborah and Kara there. But the little girl seems to be in a trance and she repeats over and over and over, he's a nice man. Don't hurt him. He's going to wash me in the river. <sighs> Which is so that's cool. <laughs> As the sheriff and I guess the other officers try to handcuff Deborah. She starts spitting snake venom mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, no, she onto straight them. up shot out venom at this dude. Like wild. <laughs> wild. Deborah is truly unhinged. Mm-hmm. And then she runs off with Kara. Yeah. And thus begins a cat and mouse game of following Deborah and Kara through an old mill and into an old mine area. And, like, Deborah's looking full spooky now. But (laughs) we ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) She's fully animalistic at this point, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When they, at last, when they, and I say they, meaning Mia and Sarah, corner Deborah, they come upon a truly terrifying sight. Oh, my God. Deborah's face seems to have split into two. And she's got this giant snake-like mouth and is currently trying to swallow Kara whole like a freaking anaconda. I gotta say. I gotta say. I gotta say. There is no way to prepare yourself for this. Oh my god. (laughs) No. Okay. When I said, remember last time we recorded and I was like, shocked you hadn't seen this movie, Laura, and I was like, so you haven't seen the scene. (laughs) 
I totally forgot that you said that. I don't. E- yeah. I didn't even remember. So I was gonna say, I don't think anyone would disagree with me in saying that that was the best shot of the film. And they and save it for the very end. They do. And I, so I had no, I hadn't even seen, I might've seen an image of this on the internet at some point. I think I told remember, you, I was like, be careful. I was like, don't be careful when you're looking it up because this yeah. is the most famous shot of the movie. Yes. So I did not know that was coming and I'm pretty sure I think my jaw dropped. I was just like, holy yeah. shit, this is amazing. Because <laughs> it looks good. It like good and you it's not expected at all. You're like, what the? And she pulls away and she straight up looks like the jack in the box from Krampus. She yes. does. And I, the first thought I had was like, is the kid okay? Like, did she bite? Like, is, is she gonna be okay? <laughs> I think she got like a little teeth nick or something because she had a yeah. bandage on when they show her in the cop car later. But like she's like, You interrupt me while I'm eating? I fully, I think that that one shot of her eating that kid is like worth, it's worth the it. entire film. <laughs> it is so good. It is. It is so good. Like I, for, I will forgive the entire nonsensical nature of the film's second half purely for this one shot because it is so good. And yeah, it it's just me so every time. unexpected because like of all the ways that you think she, you know, dispatch of this poor young girl. First, I don't know if she's washed her yet. You're expecting her to be washing her or something. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. like full on just engulfing her straight up it's like it's like oh did you not get the snake thing <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 what what is wild about this though okay that i just want to like bring up none of the other bodies were consumed right like, what is happening here is well, this an actual demon there were, they did say that parts of it were cannibalized yeah, yeah but true. not the whole she was trying to eat that whole body well, yeah. to be fair, I doubt that Henry could have done that. <laughs> I know. Like, what is, like, Henry, Henry's not creating a snake mouth, right? Like, what is happening to Deborah right now? She's possessed, and the snake mouth is part of that. It's supernatural. Don't think about it too hard. That wasn't part of the ritual, though. Don't think no, about I'm sorry. I am thinking about it really hard, because the whole rest of this movie has been her, like, being controlled by Dehardine, but, like, what the fuck is this? Though she's yeah. still controlled by Dehardine. I just was a little confused about the method of murder. Because, like... They're very nonspecific about what's supposed to happen, and I think on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. Because is it? Sarah to the rescue. Well... Sarah to the rescue, indeed. Yes. After her and Mia freak the fuck out, and uh, completely valid yeah. in doing that. Well, she shoots her. Yeah. She shoots at Deborah and manages to get her to stop trying to eat the child, but then, like, true chaos happens, and it's really hard to know what's happening because the light on the camera's going mm-hmm. out, and it's just, it's a lot. But, like, Sarah starts yelling at her mother to try and fight Dehardine's influence, and they manage to get Kara away, and then Sarah just whips out Dehardine's dead body and sets it on fire. Despite the eerie screams and paranormal attempts to put out the fire, it seems to work. And Deborah is freed from Dehardine's control. She's alive, but not in good shape. Also, Mia sedates her, which helps yes. weaken her yeah. in the moment. Yeah. What do you think was... Go- okay, so like, you know... So there's that moment when the body like sets on fire, right? Like, mm-hmm. What is happening... What are this? Is there something going on on the walls that I didn't notice? Because they seem to like focus on that, and there was like all this screaming. Like, what was happening? 
Maybe it was the screams of all the other girls. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't remember that. I don't either, but I like clued into it this time and I was like, am I supposed to be seeing something? Because I'm not. I think that we're, it's, it's just supposed to be fanfare because like he's leaving Deborah's body. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Months later, we learn that Deborah was charged with the murder of the sheriff, but was found unfit to stand trial because her mental condition continues to rapidly decline. Kara, though, Kara has survived and has made a surprising recovery from her leukemia. She's interviewed at her 10th birthday and reveals that she has some kind of plan for her life and then gives the camera a creepy little look and the film ends. She, she's possessed. What? It's interesting that like when he possesses her, she like is healed. Oh, and when yeah. She possessed Deborah. Do you think that's what that implies? Well, yeah, I, I thought that it had to be that or like a nod that like she had achieved immortality or something. Oh, that yeah, maybe sense because still only four of the girls are dead. Yeah, like, I don't know. Even the fifth. They're yeah. really not clear about how this works. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, the the way they say he possesses someone is he goes after someone who has a weak or in, or sick yeah. mind, someone who's infirmed. Yeah. So that's what I kind of took it as him possessing her because she is sick. Yeah. But then it, once she gets better, I was like, how is he not? I don't know. What, I don't know what's happening. I don't yeah. know. There's some holes here, I will admit. I, I would say there's a couple. Uh, just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> just some, like, glaring holes. Laura, this was your first time seeing this movie, right? Yes, it was. I know that you have, like, a generally favorable impression of it, but, like, what was that experience like? <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. It wasn't too spooky. It was spooky enough. Sometimes, I I think I've said before that, admittedly, sometimes I don't watch possession films because they fucking freak me out a a lot more than other things. But I, this one had a a good spook level. And yeah, like I said, it kind of, it was a bit too much to handle at first, like as far as the information that it was giving us, Mm -hmm. like I had to kind of be like, okay, well, I'm going to miss some of this and it'll just, you know, I'll catch it on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. another time but once it kind of get got into it i felt more oriented to everything that was going on and i yeah i mean there's i don't think there's a better way to to describe it than to say that i had an enjoyable time like mm-hmm. i was surprised i was spooked at some points i was invested in the characters more than i thought i would be yeah so i thought it was a really good um seemed to be a good addition to the subgenre as far as i know yeah I definitely, it is, it's just, it's really solid. It's a solid little movie, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that, I do think that maybe if this weren't found footage, it would be maybe better. Hmm. Like, uh, what do you mean? The things that I don't like about this movie are the, some of the documentary aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that without those, it would be, I don't think that it's a bad found footage film by any means. But I do think that if this same story was told without that found footage lens, that it would still be Mm. good. And it would kind of save it from some of those more, like, cheesy moments. And then also, like, 
I don't know. I feel like it. I feel like it just could have. We could have done it without the found footage, and it still would have been good. Yeah, especially because like there are some moments where like the documentary style becomes like weird too, because like there's some non diegetic music that happens occasionally, and it's like, why are you putting scary music in this part of your documentary? Like I don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> so like some of that stuff kind of falls apart on a rewatch. I think, but overall, it's not bad. Like when you compare this with something like Noroi the Curse. Mm-hmm. which does such a good job of using that found footage documentary style. Yes. It definitely falls flat compared to that. And I'm like, if you just made like a straightforward movie, it would have been fine. But mm-hmm. with, for budgetary reasons and stuff, I understand why you would go with the found footage route. Yeah. I just think that, you know, this could have been a, maybe a more solid film if it was just straightforward. I think that's fair. I think it could have saved itself like a little bit of time and like been able to explain some of the like craziness to the plot if it hadn't had to like devote time to setting up the documentary yeah especially Mm -hmm. because the documentary becomes such a non-issue yeah it it does kind of almost feel like it forgets that it's a documentary yeah Mm -hmm. then it becomes a testament to what happened we would have seen where the fucking bag of bones came from at the end Mm. Uh, yeah i don't know that just really got me i was like how are it you was carrying in her around inventory <laughs> i was like where are these coming from it was that is shocking yeah oh this movie it's a really fun time and i do think it's like a, a solid entry into this genre mm-hmm. and it is like like i said before it is really refreshing to see the focus be on like an older person as opposed to a younger person and I do think that it does add something different to the genre and bring something different to the table that we have seen, but we don't see often, mm-hmm. you know, going back to what you were saying about the way that possession is depicted when it's a young, specifically a young woman. I was always almost thinking like, now that we have an older woman being possessed, and I don't think the film really plays with this, but I think it'd be interesting if it played with the idea of, is this woman worth saving? Because when you get, when you get into first the, you know, the gendered kind of politics of mm-hmm. who's worth saving and add a layer to that of the age, like I would imagine, you know, in stories about young women, it's usually like, Oh, we have to save this young woman. She has so much potential or, you know, She's, she's deserving of life. She doesn't deserve this. She still mm-hmm. has a, li- a lot of life to live versus an older woman where it's like, you know, your value as a woman diminishes the older you get. If more people would be more likely to say, well, she's not worth saving in that sense. Or why, you know, why is someone trying so hard to save her when she's so close to death anyway? And even with the illness on top of that, there's a lot that goes along with chronic illness or I guess this is Mm -hmm. not a chronic illness, but illness in general and value as a person. So like all of those layered on top of each other, it would be interesting. I don't think it would necessarily fit in this movie as, as we've already kind of discussed that the discussion of Alzheimer's itself is not really as integral as we wanted it to be. But I think it'd be interesting to explore that in a similar type of movie. You should watch Relic. Yeah. I've heard good things about it. Relic is so good. Cool. Yeah. Does it kind of play with that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Not without giving too much away. Yeah. Sweet. I'm on board. 
Well, is there anything else that you wanted to add, Heidi? Nope. We talked a lot about it at the beginning, so I feel happy. I'm okay. satisfied. Good. Yeah, that was fun discussion. So that was Heidi's pick for this episode. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for listening in on our discussion on the taking of Deborah Logan today. This was really fun. If you enjoyed our discussion, please feel free to go ahead and follow us on the podcatcher of your choice. And it would also really mean so much to us if you could leave a review or a rating um, just to help us be more well-known out there in the world. Um, you can also always follow us on Instagram at Slashers Before Blood's podcast um, where you can comment on episodes, recommend some movies for us to do in the future, all that good stuff. You'll also be able to see updates on when we post and things of that nature. Thank you so much again for listening. And please don't take that just, spade. Just be careful when you're, <laughs> when you're out in the garden. <laughs> oh my God. Stay, Stay spooky. spooky. End of End podcast. The podcast.